millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in our studio today with Andy Bird. Andy is part of the executive leadership team at YWAM, Youth with a Mission, Kona. He also directs something called The Send, and we're going to talk about that. Andy, welcome. So honored to be here. Well, we are honored to have you. Uh, let's talk about The Send. You know, I think there are some events that that people look back on and say, wow, that, that was a turning point. Everything I've heard about The Send from some people who were there, other people who, who know about it, is this is one of those things. We're going to look back and we're going to say, hey, that was a turning point. Tell our listeners and tell us what is The Send? What did it accomplish? What did it do? What were the yeah. goals? Yeah, no, great question. And I'm so you know, honored and excited that people wouldn't look back at any of these moments as true turning points in their life. And that is so much, you know, the reason that we've given our lives for what the Send represents. And uh, really, the Send was birthed out of seven movements and seven leaders coming together, recognizing that in America, we were desperate for another great awakening, and that that great awakening was directly linked to America retaining its calling as a sending nation that uh, not only did we need a re-evangelization of our nation in a sense, but we needed to grab a hold of our calling to be a sending nation. And pretty quickly, we re- realized this was not just a national movement, but really was a global movement. And so our first event was in Orlando, Florida, 2019. And uh, it was a 12-hour event where all 12 hours was about the Great Commission. And a lot of worship, a lot of space to just, you know, love Jesus and encounter his presence. But in the midst of that, all of the messaging around reaching America as our local mission and the nations of the earth as our global mission. And we saw about 58,000 people come, largely young people. And uh, the testimonies out of it were astounding. They were so encouraging. In fact, we had over 5,000 people text in as a response to their commitment to go anywhere in the world for the sake of the gospel. Wow. Thousands of high schoolers committing to reach their high schools, universities the same, thousands committing to the, the field of adoption or foster care. And it was, it was mind-blowing. I mean, we, we so believe for even more, but if, in terms of a first event, we were so encouraged by how willing the next generation is to really go. It's like they're waiting for a battle or they're waiting for a cause to give themselves for. And our goal at the Send was to give them the cause of the Great Commission. I'm thrilled just to think about 50,000 people who are willing to spend 12 hours talking yeah. about missions. Yes, <laughs> right. Like, Absolutely. Hey, those are my kind of people. Absolutely. <laughs> and people told us along the way, they were like, hey, we're not sure you're really going to fill a stadium <laughs> on the Great Commission. <laughs> you know, because statistically, right. the number of people that even know what the Great Commission is or could even, you know, draw the references to where, where in Scripture we get that, it's kind of low. But um, all of those people, as well-meaning as they may have been, were wrong. There is a massive desire in the heart of the next generation to make a difference. 
And all 12 hours were about making a difference. And from there, we went to Brazil. And that's when we realized this truly was global. And the Brazil story is, is, is remarkable because our stadium filled up in six hours from the, the moment we announced it. Wow. And so we actually filled three stadiums in Brazil. Two were at capacity. The third one was about two-thirds full. And uh, on on that day, so, a year like, later, how big a stadium? Uh, the first about? one was seventy thousand. The second one held about forty thousand, and the third one was at about a hundred, about thirty or thirty-five thousand. Wow! It was astounding. So roughly, I don't remember if I got all my numbers right there. Roughly one hundred and forty to one hundred fifty thousand live, and then another one point two, one point three million watched online. And uh, that took it to another level. We had 100,000 missional commitments out of that gathering that all on an app selected a real mission field and actually then were channeled all the way to a real organization that would train them and send them to that mission okay, field. Okay, that, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Okay, you've got all these people who are ready to yeah. go. Now yes. what do we do with them? So it was a robust follow-up plan. The app captured their data on mm-hmm. the day of. And then over the next month, we followed up with every single missional commitment multiple times. Wow. And usually we did it through the organization that actually was going to train and send them. So a lot of it was working in broad and strong partnerships. The Send's not looking to recreate any wheels. We essentially want to flood these movements and organizations with new workers who are willing to be trained and commit to those real mission fields. So. Really remarkable awesome. follow-up program. And as we look to the future, like we loved what we did, we just want to see it go further and further. So when is the next event? Yeah, so we're looking in 2022. We decided to push everything well out of kind of the COVID world and COVID restrictions. Right. Never knowing where right. things are changing. And so in 2022, we'll do Kansas City in early June. We'll do Norway, Oslo, Norway in late June. And we'll do uh, Argentina, Buenos Aires in uh, October. Wow. So three events in 2022. So Kansas City is one of those. I know we have a lot of listeners in the U.S. Kansas City would be in reach for many of them. Yes, come. Come to the Sen. Come. (laughs) Yes. It's going to be life-changing. So, Andy, we've talked about all of these people feeling that call to missions and taking those first steps. Let's go back to the beginning of your story. How how did you feel that call, or, or how did God get a hold of you to say, hey, I want you to go outside yeah. your country? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm from a small town in Alaska, and I uh, actually lived a number of years out in the Aleutians, out near Russia, and a really, really small town on an island in Alaska. And then we moved to mainland Alaska to a small town there. And when I was uh, a freshman in high school, my church uh, was taking a trip to the Philippines with some of our long-term partners there. And uh, I went, not really very in love with Jesus, not really serious about my relationship with Jesus or serving him or anything. And I got rocked in the Philippines. I mean, it changed my whole perspective on life. And uh, ironically, I came home and I didn't necessarily start following Jesus any more seriously, but I had this little seed planted in my heart. And if people asked me, even what do you think you're going to do in the future? I'd be like, I'm thinking about missions, which was hilarious because I wasn't like (laughs) very sold out for the Lord. You know, I'm definitely kind of living a couple different realities, but that seed was there. So when I finished high school, 
the plan was to go to university, but I had no idea what to study. So my dad let me take kind of a gap six months to go and do YWAM. And more than anything, I was excited to get out of Alaska. Hawaii sounded like a great destination. It always sounds yep. like a great destination. And I had a little bit of that seed from the Philippines. But um, long story short, that experience was transformative for me. And I would say by the end of that, I was fairly set on um, God's heart for the nations and feeling like this could be the rest of my life, having no idea what that would mean or even look like. But I I was pretty ruined for anything else at that point. So your six months is how many years now? 23. (laughs) (laughs) 23. That's a a short-term call that that turned out to be long-term. Yes. Does somebody need to say, I'm going to go the rest of my life? Or can they really make a difference in a six-month span, in a three-month span, in a two-week span. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think, you know, Lauren Cunningham, our founder, always says short-termers make great (laughs) long-termers. And so I I do think there's something to going like, hey, it might only be two weeks, and maybe the effect on me is going to be greater in those two weeks than maybe the effect I'm going to have on others. Mm -hmm. But I still think there's value in it. And if that plants a seed that affects you for the long term to be more great commission minded, more globally minded, then it was worth it. And it's not necessarily going to be detrimental to the to the place that you go for two weeks. Your impact is limited. Three months, you're going to have a little bit more of an impact and you're going to have much more of an impact in your own heart. Mm-hmm. And we have just seen again and again that it was those who started with that two week trip or that three month trip that were deeply impacted that are now seven, eight, nine, ten years in speaking another language and truly Truly helping serve indigenous movements, which is always the goal of missions, is to catalyze, serve, and empower indigenous movements. And short-termers make the best long-termers. So Amen. start somewhere. Don't disqualify yourself because it feels like two weeks is ineffective. Two weeks can absolutely change the trajectory of your life, which could affect many lives in the long term in these regions of the world. Whenever I get a chance to speak to young people, high schoolers or college-age students, I encourage them before you take a full-time job, take a mission strip. Even like you say, yeah. even if it's two weeks. Yes. And it's not because God is going to call every single one of them to career missions. Yeah. But he is going to plant some seeds Absolutely. that produce some fruit in their lives and in their churches and in their Absolutely. families. And so uh, that's one of my I, I I like it that you're saying I'm on the right track. They yes. should. So young people, before you take a full-time job, uh, take a missions trip. Go get that experience. Andy, you've served in in some hard places. You've been in some some difficult spots around the world, some places that aren't easy to live. As you look back on that 23 years, what was there a season that was particularly challenging or a season when you started to think, wow, <laughs> maybe I need to find a different job. Maybe yeah. I, I need to get out of this missions business. Have you had some, some times like that? You know, I don't know that I've ever questioned um, the significance of what we were believing for, or even if it was worth it. And I think partly because throughout our lives, we have spent multiple times a year in remote or difficult or restricted access nations. And sometimes for two, three months at a time, sometimes I'm in a place for three, four days. But I think something about that rhythm has constantly reminded me how worth it these people are and how worth it the nations are. 
And the more often I'm able to be in front of someone who has never one time heard the name of Jesus, the more often I'm reminded of the importance and the significance of what missions is and has represented for the last 2,000 years and still is today. And so certainly there's been hard times where, you know, finances were low or there's been times where, um, you know, we face real challenges. Um, but I don't feel that I've ever truly questioned the legitimacy or the worthwhileness of what we've given ourselves to because of being face-to-face with some of the most remarkable people I've ever met all over the world. How do we, how do we make that spirit contagious in the American church that, yeah. that the opportunity to stand in front of someone who's never heard the name of Christ yeah. and proclaim him yeah. is like the highest the highest way you can spend your day. That right. that's the best thing right. you could do today. Right. But most of us don't think that way. We don't yeah. go through our lives thinking, well, hey, I wonder if I wonder if this next conversation is going to be that one. Right. How do we how do we make that more contagious? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say a couple things. One, I think being aware of the global story is so important, which is one of the reasons VOM is such a remarkable ministry. And these, the regularly, regularly being reading the stories and aware and praying and seeing the places of the world where real persecution is taking place, or even being aware of the place of the world where there is very little gospel access. And even if we're not there or going there, we need to keep those stories in front of us. We've got to keep reading them, feeling them, being emotionally connected to them. And number two, I would say, is that more and more, even if you're here in America listening, we need to see America as largely unevangelized today. And so it's not only connecting to what might be happening in Afghanistan or Libya or North Korea, but it's also connecting to the reality that there is a whole generation that is growing up with very little gospel influence in their lives. And though maybe they've heard the name of Jesus, it's probably rarely been a representation of who Jesus really is. So more and more, we need to see our own cities, our own neighborhoods, our own nation as large, as massively in need of of re-evangelization, of, of being and representing Jesus to our own nation. And so I think both those things are very important in terms of living a perspective that carries a measure of urgency and importance to every day and importance to every moment, to every relationship. Andy, you are also a husband and a father. How do you balance the call to missions, the call to be a godly husband, the call to be a godly father and raise up godly children? There's a lot of pulls on your on your 24 hours every day. How do you how do you balance those things out? Yeah, the the real secret is my godly wife. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And we I affectionately call her Mother Teresa, and a lot of our community does as well. She is definitely the the strength that holds a lot of these pieces together. I think for us, we've really tried to do mission as a family. And so every year I take each of my kids on a trip with me somewhere around the world. My oldest son, Asher, is 16. He's probably been to 21, 22 nations with me. And so they feel like we're in this together. We just did a road trip across America for about uh, nine weeks. We drove East Coast to West Coast and did gatherings all across America. And our kids were very involved in that, very much a part of that. And so I think we've tried to do uh, family on mission versus like dad's doing this and, you know, we're kind of here and we're sending him off again that we really would feel a part of it together. And I think sometimes we've done that better than others. You know, sometimes we've not done it as great. But I would say our kids love the nations. Our kids love the gospel and they feel a part of what we're doing together. There's not very many people 
that I can bring in the studio here who've been to North Korea. Uh, you're, you're one of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about your trip. I mean, yeah. I think the, the obvious question is, how did you get in? How yeah. did you go? Yeah. And then what what was it like to be there? A remarkable, life-changing trip. And I don't know if they still offer these sort of paid tours that they did a number of years ago when I went in. And they would have known that we were believers, but it's, you know, if you're paying the the amount of money you are, and and they're very controlled on where you see and where you go, then they had this kind of system set up. And so I went in with a group of friends, and um, it was mind blowing. I think it's probably the only place I've ever been where the media under portrays how difficult it really is. I feel like most places I've been, say Afghanistan, um, you get a certain impression in the media and the news, and then you get there and it's it's there are real realities that are hard, but it was very different. Right. And many places I've been have been like that. North Korea is the only place I've ever been that it was much worse than we know. In what way? I would say in, a, in almost every way, but in terms of oppression, in terms of propaganda, and the story that's being told in North Korea to the North Koreans is mind-blowing. And then I think also what I was blown away by was that at the end of the day, every human is longing for love. And we had in-depth conversations throughout our time there with some of the North Koreans. And uh, one of the comments I remember them saying is we have never even heard or thought that there is a would be a God who forgives. That thought has never entered our minds. Wow. And I just, I just in awe that they, but they were moved uh-huh. and they, it started very standoffish because they're taught again, propaganda right. of what, who Americans are and what we are. It took us some time to, to break through that. By the end, these guys were hugging us. We were, you know, playing volleyball. We were, you know, really had actually built friendship and saw such a hunger to know a God who forgives, to know a God who loves Really, what I walked away with was not only a story of probably one of the most difficult places in the whole world right now, and in the same sense, a real sense of hope that there are no closed borders to the gospel at the end of the day, and that God is moving in remarkable ways across the world. And it's very hard to track in places like North Korea, but of course, we do hear stories. And I think what we got to see firsthand was the tenderness of people's hearts when they begin to, even in a small measure, encounter a God who loves and a God who forgives. Did they take you to church? Because I know there are some yes. kind of public... Talk, yeah. talk about the experience yeah. of going to church. So we did. We went to... I think there's two in the nation, and we went to the one in Pyongyang. It's propaganda, actually. Oh, yeah. It's a picture of uh, freedom of religion, which, of course, does not exist. There was a number of people there, and we sang songs, and, um, of course, it's all in Korean, so right. you know, we wouldn't have it's understood much. Exactly yeah, yeah. On. But it was, uh, it was just the strangest feeling, because it was so um, not real. And yet it was a church in Pyongyang. So right. interesting experience for sure. And and I'm sure everything was uh, for your enjoyment. Like like this whole yes. thing is for you to oh, see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Look, we have church. Yes. Look, we yeah. have food. Every Look. video, every restaurant, everything you experienced was for that purpose. It's choreographed. Intensely. That's... We went to Arirang, which is the largest performing arts expression in the world. The largest stadium in the world is in Pyongyang. And so we went to that stadium and that this, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but Arirang is what I remember. And uh, it's as a hundred thousand performers in the show. And it was mind blowing. I mean, everything about 
the experience was quite mind-blowing. Um, but so grateful because it was very eye-opening. And I think it's important to carry these stories. Right. And I think it's important for people to not forget or give up on praying for a real change in this nation. Because uh, these are our brothers and sisters, many of them living under intense persecution and incredible oppression. And uh, we can't forget to pray for them or to believe that it can change. How, after being there and after seeing and after having those conversations, how do you pray for North Korea yeah, now yeah. that you've been there? Right. It's a great question. I'd say at two levels is we ought to pray that there is a real shift in the in the actual government of the nation. It's just we, we really ought to pray that way, that people would truly be free and experience the, the liberties that we've been able to experience in many places around the world. And then number two, I think it is the nearness and the comfort of God for the believers in the nation that are probably living under the most intense persecution or oppression of anywhere in the world or certainly in the top. And uh, just the nearness of God, the comfort of God, the encouragement of the Lord, and that they would somehow know they're not alone. Because I don't know if there's a place where believers might feel more alone than North Korea because the level of surveillance, Uh all of that. So I think those are important prayers. And the the reason they're important, too, is we may not— get to see the fruit of those prayers, at least in a while. And we may never meet the people we're praying for, but it makes such a massive difference. And I've met with persecuted believers all across the world. And when they hear and actually believe that we're praying for them, it is a difference maker more than we can imagine who have never lived in persecution. Yeah. It's a game changer. Yes. Andy, the last question, and you mentioned that you're on mission with your family. How do we pray for you guys? How do we pray for you and your family and, and the work that you're doing every day? Yeah, no, um, my our family, I'm so grateful for six incredible children, two adopted, four biological. Right now we have a seventh, a little foster child that's with us. And I think our big prayer right now is even at our kids and our kids' age that all of our obedience would end up just being the floor to their obedience. And um, I'm looking at my 16-year-old and my teenage daughters now, and I'm just amazed at who they're becoming. And my prayer is, God, that they would take it further than we ever imagined, that they would go further, go higher, do it better, more innovative, you know, more impactful with, with bigger hearts than even we did. And so I think for our family, we're very much at that stage where now I have teenage children and my youngest two are nine, um, that, that we are fully focused in many ways in terms of a family at, at championing the call of God and developing that call of God on their lives. And I am, I am just so excited to see what God does with these kids because of what they've experienced. Even through adoption and foster care, they have touched a love for others that I didn't even know existed at 16 years yeah. old. They've touched a selflessness that I wouldn't have even had a grid for at 14 or 13 years old. And so all of that makes me ask the question, who are these kids going to become? And so I, we just deeply appreciate any prayer, you know, for our family and for our children as, as we continue to go after the call of God on their lives and uh, what God's going to do with them, even in the nations of the earth. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio.
Voice for the Persecuted.